Chapter 12, Scorch the Terrible. One moment, there was deep forest and uncanny silence. Then suddenly, as storm rode forward, it was like passing through a gateway, and a wall of forest stretched to his right and left. He blinked at the bright sunlight unfiltered by trees. Before him lay the great wasteland of Scorch the Terrible. Scorch had done his work well. The desolation was complete. Not a tree remained standing that was not a blackened skeleton of its former glory, mocking the dreary sky with its angular arms, beseeching uncaring gods for help. Bushes fared even worse, having been burnt to stubble along the scorched ground. There was no sign of green anywhere. The knight's throat grew tight and parched. Scorch had been careful not to let a single blade of grass return after he had spent his fury on what had been once rich rolling hills tickled by wooded streams and crowned by thick forest. It was Scorch's way of intimidating all comers who dared to think that a dragon was nothing more than a fat overgrown lizard and a quick road to glory and a hero's reputation. The knight took all of this in as he dragged his eyes along the scene before him. It was painful to look at. Scorch had made his message clear. He would deal with anyone who dared oppose him as mercilessly as he had the land he claimed as his desolation. The knight snorted and then sneezed. The intense smell of the burnt land at places still smoldering, invading his nose with irritating acidity. He had to calm storm, fearless companion of his campaigns, who was growing uneasy at this unnatural widespread destruction. The smell has gotten your nose too, now, he said, leaning over to stroke her neck and whisper into her ear, Get used to it. It's the smell of evil. Never forget it and beware. We've come to meet it head on, my sweet. He paused a moment and added somberly, but then we've never fought together any other way. This will likely be our last battle together. Let's take it on bravely. Then both man and horse sneezed at once. Stench, they could have called you as well, you loathsome beast, he mused bitterly, speaking loudly at the ruined hills through which they rode. Where are you, you evil thing? He bellowed out suddenly, making his horse shy and sidestep on the loose, rocky soil beneath them. Show your wicked, ugly scales, he called out. You're not a cat. Nor am I a mouse, so stop your slinking. His voice fell flat on naked hills around him. He spurred his horse to come to the top of a rise of land to give him a better look around. 
Let's get it over with, he mumbled to himself under his breath. You, he bellowed out again, twisting in his saddle to look in all directions. Scorch, show yourself. I bring you challenge, you wretched, cowardly worm of a beast. There was silence from the ruined landscape around him. Only the unhindered wind whistled coolly, ruffling storm's mane. The quiet was unnerving. No song of bird, chatter of squirrels, burble of running water, not even the rustle of wind in the leaves, nothing. Nothing except Scorch's desolation. It was a picture of hopelessness. He rode on further into the depths of the Black Hills, leaving the green edge where the ruination met the forested land behind him. He spurred his horse up another rise and repeated his challenge loudly in all directions. Again, he was answered only by the silence carried in the wind. His words fell dead in the empty landscape. He rode even further into Scorch's ruined landscape, coming to another rise and once more bellowing out his challenge. He wondered how many more times he would have to repeat this. After a fifth try, standing on the top of a naked hill, as he gazed out over the ugly blackened hills around him, the hair on the back of his neck stood up. There was nothing concrete, more a feeling than a sound of an unfathomable heaviness from behind, an unfathomably nimble heaviness. Beneath him, Storm felt it as well. She nervously sidestepped and pulled at her reins as if she wanted to bolt forth from that spot. He did not even bother to turn and look. Some old reaction pulled out of the sleepy depths of his unconscious, told him urgently that he did not have time to look around. With a cry, he gave Storm the free rein she was demanding and dug his spurs into her sides. Suddenly released from his firm hold and urged on by his heel, she sprang forward with a spray of gravel, leapt off the crest of the hill and flew down into the ravine below them. He felt the forceful gust of the dragon's immense body as it landed heavily, though relatively silently on the spot where he and his mount had stood a moment before. Storm kicked and leapt with sudden fright in her eyes as she twisted her head about trying to glance at the danger from behind as she galloped forward ahead. A lesser rider would have been thrown from the saddle. Nice evasion, murmured Scorch calmly, and I don't give compliments easily. How you knew I was there is beyond me. Scorch, of course, was speaking more to himself than to the knight. He was so used to keeping his own company, not being inclined to keeping anyone else's for very long. But Scorch's comment was not lost on the knight, who realized that his escape was a gift of life that had come from his childhood drills. He sent up silent thanks to Star. He also marveled at Storm's reaction 
She had also sensed the dragon's presence, and though the knight may have hesitated, she had not. Michael had now confirmed one of the things he had come to find out. Scorch had the ability to speak. And, of equal importance, Michael had the capacity to understand the dragon's speech. However, Scorch's voice had a quality that was all its own. Star's voice had clear bell tones, quite like chimes blowing in the wind. Scorch's voice, on the other hand, lacked any pleasant music. It was dull and flat, full of clicking sounds like the striking of a tin cup with a spoon. The knight galloped off to a safe distance before he reined Storm in and turned to face the dragon. Once Storm saw the dragon before her, her tail flew into the air and her mane stood on end. She pawed the ground like a bull preparing to charge. Michael had wondered how she might respond, faced with the dragon, and here was his answer. Rather than turn tail and run, she was eager to carry him fearlessly into battle. The knight held the reins tightly, holding her in check. He had not come prepared to fight. He wanted only to size this dragon up. Scorch lay flat on his stomach on the crest of a hill. His sudden appearance was part of his dragon cunning. For all their size and bulk and weight, dragons are uncommonly swift and silent. If Michael had not played this game a dozen times a month with Star and come to know from behind the feeling of a pouncing dragon, he and Storm would have already been crushed beneath the dragon's heavy clawed feet and finished off by the rows of razor-sharp teeth lining its ponderous jaws. The dragon lay there, outwardly showing little concern while he sized up his new opponent. The knight took this opportunity to do the same. Scorch was an immense dragon with very mature lines. He was finely scaled and carried himself proudly as if he knew that among dragons he was particularly well-formed. The knight could not resist the thought that cleaned up he would be quite handsome even though the scales showed only a very dirty, muted, brownish-green, his practiced eye could see the potential beauty beneath. A week in the stream underneath my scrubbers, he thought to himself, and he would make a beautiful luck dragon. Michael wondered idly how he had fallen. He wondered if there was any chance that Scorch would tell him. Hail, Scorch the Terrible, he finally called out flatly. Hail, Nimble Mouse, Scorch returned, not thinking for a moment that the night before him could understand his words. You will help me work up an appetite before I eat you. I did not come to be eaten by you. I did not even come to give you battle. The knight calmly responded. The dragon had been carefully practicing indifference, 
so as not to betray his admiration of the knight's recent escape from certain death. However, when the knight responded to his words, he could not hide his wide-eyed wonderment. You, little worm of a man, you understand the ancient tongue? You, monstrous worm of a wretched beast, I am surprised you know any civil tongue at all. This comment stung, for Scorch actually had a high opinion of himself. After all, for a wicked wild dragon, he felt that he fulfilled the description very well. He drew his shaggy brows together. I thought we had eaten the last of the ancient race. Not quite commented the knight dryly. I am still left. Then I will have the pleasure of ending with you all ability to pry into dragon's secrets. That, of course, said the knight, still remains to be seen. He had, after all, deftly avoided the dragon's first attempt at ambushing him. The dragon laughed openly. There is no way for a mortal man to defeat a dragon, retorted Scorch. As if to emphasize his point, he thrashed his long, snaking tail and opened his immense jaws, exposing row upon row of razor-sharp teeth, and then shut them with a threatening snap. Storm pranced sideways and reared up as Michael pulled on the reins and spoke softly to control and calm her. He sensed that she felt no fear, only eagerness to engage. The knight could not help flinching at Scorch's comment. It had always been Star's first and final observation to him whenever they sparred. There is no way to defeat a dragon. Never forget this, Star had said. It was one thing to hear this statement from a luck dragon whom he knew, loved, and protected him from harm. It was something quite different to hear this from a wicked, evil beast of a dragon who unapologetically planned to eat him. Something inside the night grew cold, and for the first time, he was afraid. Yet what was fear? Fear was the closed door to keep you from going farther. Open the door and enter new adventure. After all, what had Star trained him for, except to fight dragons? It was his destiny that all battles in his life had led to this encounter. There was no question of turning aside. He had come to find this dragon, and now they were finally engaged, even if for the moment, nothing further than sparring with words. That may be so, he said at last. That may be so. We shall probably put it to a test. Yet, perhaps, it is not necessary. Scorch raised his head and peered at him cautiously. What do you mean, little worm? What I mean is this. It is true that I know your tongue because I am of the ancient race. I am a dragon master. It is my destiny to tame dragons. If you come with me peacefully, 
we can avoid a great deal of trouble. He tried to sound convincing, but Scorch only laughed. I am a dragon. It is my destiny to destroy all who oppose me. I know no master. I eat dragon slayers. I eat dragon masters. That is why there are none left. Except for me, interrupted the knight. Except for you, repeated Scorch. But not for long, he added, staring directly at Michael. The knight quickly avoided the dragon's gaze. I wonder how you've escaped till now, mused the dragon, if you are truly what you claim you are. Michael decided to avoid this issue. The last thing he wanted Scorch to know was that this was his first encounter with a wild dragon. What makes you so certain that you are right? He hoped to distract Scorch to give himself some time to think of a better plan than getting eaten. At this, the dragon laughed scornfully. Right about what? That it is my destiny to eat you? Or that you cannot have any hope to defeat me? Both are easy to answer. I know I am right because I am stronger. If you are really so much stronger, you can help others and share what you have with those who are weaker. Share? Scorch belched short orange flames out of his mouth with this word. Storm took several steps backwards in the face of the unexpected heat. Why should I share? I have worked hard for what I have. Look about you and see how I have labored. Let others work as hard and get their own. Yet, if you came with me in peace and offered your blessing to the people of this kingdom, the dwellers of the town would shower you with gifts. The foolish, dirt-eating townspeople already shower me with gifts, and I shower them with my curses in return. It is good enough trade for me, and they are content with it. Look, they have now sent you for my next meal. It's been a while since I've had some horse flesh. I've not come to fight you, Scorch, the knight quickly responded. I have not been sent by the townspeople. Not yet, at least. I came of my own free will to speak with you. Did you come to mock me then? The dragon demanded. If I let you go, you will boast far and wide that you escaped me. Who knows what lies you will spread? You can plainly see that I came unarmed, the knight protested. What honor does Scorch win by eating an unarmed knight? I've come to let you know that I will be the next to come and challenge you as a courtesy between us. I need no warning and I seek no courtesy, Scorch said acidly. These are human frailties. Fool, what is to keep me from eating you now? You like the sport of battle, Michael said. He had no idea if it was true and was appalled at the thought that Scorch might pounce on him at any moment. He had not gotten this far along in his plans when he had decided to come meet the dragon. Besides, you also enjoy the conversation. 
Why end it now when you can have both your sport and more conversation when I return? Scorch snorted, and for the moment he accepted the knight's reasoning. I will be waiting for you when you return. I'm ready for any challenge you can bring. I'm always ready. I fear nothing and no one. Go make your boast and enjoy the moment of glory it gives you. It will be your last. Scorch stared at the night, his eyes narrowing. Then he added with a hiss, nor do I have any need for your sport or foolish conversation. Go before I change my mind. It was the dragon who now turned and began to stalk away. Michael knew that their meeting had ended. He did not want to wait in case Scorch reconsidered things. He was just turning storm when he faintly heard from the direction of the forest Aina's voice yelling some warning that he could not clearly understand. He glanced back and saw why the dragon had turned away so suddenly. Scorch's tail was swiftly bearing down on him and Storm. If he did not move from there quickly, it would mow them both down. Michael gave Storm a hard kick in the sides, but she did not need it. She had also caught sight of the immense tail flying through the air and sprang away at a hard gallop. The dragons spiked and Thorny Tail missed them by less than the length of an arm. Scorch, glancing back to see the horse and rider escape, roared in defiance as he quickly disappeared over the hill and beyond. Storm rode at full speed toward the line of trees. She did not stop when she came to them, but went crashing through the wall of foliage at the edge of Scorch's devastation. Only when they had put the trees and bushes between themselves and the dragon could the knight quiet his mount. Aina came running up to them and grabbed hold of Storm's bridle to help settle her down. I saw it all, she gasped. She looked white with fear. He tried to kill you twice, and you were talking with him. How did you do that? Can you understand what he's saying? Michael dismounted and first gave his attention to Storm. He reached up and caressed her muzzle. Calm now, Stormy girl. That was your first dragon, and you were great. The next time we'll know what we're in for. Then he looked at Aina. He became aware that he was shaking and took a deep breath. He hung onto Storm's bridle to steady himself before answering, yes, I could speak with him. Now I have an idea what to expect when I come to challenge him, but at least I've put some doubt in his mind. Let's hope that he's convinced that I am more to reckon with than anyone else he's ever fought before. It may be my best advantage. And he laughed at himself. Let's hope it won't be my only advantage. Tell me what happened out there, Aina said. Not here, the knight responded. I want to put some distance between us and the burn. This is too close for comfort. They mounted and rode slowly away from there. Michael did not relax until they had traveled far enough that they could once again hear birds singing and see squirrels scampering in the trees. Aina noticed that Michael was looking drained and unsteady in the saddle. When they came to a glade in the forest, she pulled up her horse. Let's stop here, she said, dismounting. I want to hear what you found out. The knight was grateful for the rest. 
Once off storm, he found his legs still weak. He sat down in the shade of a tree and gratefully drank from the flask Aina offered him. He then told her about his conversation with Scorch. She was fascinated by his report. I don't understand why he didn't just eat you on the spot, she wondered. Probably for the same reason he doesn't eat you every time you come to visit. He's intrigued, or maybe he just likes the company. Perhaps we'll never know, but I think when I came to meet him in battle, when I come to meet him in battle, he'll be more cautious in dealing with me, and that in itself will be worthwhile. If you can speak with him, can you not somehow reason with him? Maybe convince him to go away? It's not that simple. But now I see a way maybe to avoid a fight. At least I have his attention and he's looking forward to my return. I will just need a little time to come up with a good plan and some time to rest. I hate to admit it, but I am drained from this meeting with Scorch. Can we rest a bit? And before Aina could even agree, he lay on the ground and closed his eyes. He was asleep within moments. The knight awoke with a start. He had wanted to shut his eyes for only a moment, but he saw the sun slanting low through the trees on its pilgrimage to the horizon. He looked around and saw Aina sitting close by. She was embroidering stars onto a piece of blue cloth. I'm sorry, he said when she saw he was awake. I didn't mean to sleep. Don't be hard on yourself, she said softly. You faced a wild dragon today and walked away to tell of it. I don't know anyone else who could claim that. He sat up and looked around. Should we get going? Rather not, Aina answered. Darkness will overtake us before long, and since there will be no moon tonight, I won't be able to find the way. Will this cause a problem back in Gladder? Most likely but I don't care any longer. Aina gazed at the knight searchingly as if she were trying to answer some question about him. She looked immensely sad. He wanted to ask her what she was thinking, but she spoke first. We'll leave tomorrow at first light. I brought some food we can cook and we both have blankets. We should have brought you a pavilion, he commented with a weak smile. As befitting a lady, she said bitterly. Then, seeing the pained expression on Mike Isle's face, she added, The blanket will do, indicating the one she had been sitting on. I like sleeping out in the open. The stars in the night sky are comforting. I would never get to see them cooped up in a pavilion. Let's have something to eat before it grows dark, Mike Isle said. I guess we'll have to eat it cold. We don't want Scorch to know we're still so close. Aina looked at him in disbelief. Do you really think he doesn't know we're still here? Haven't you noticed how quiet it's grown? All the animals have gone into hiding since we arrived. It's not because of us. I am sure that he is hovering on the edge of his destruction and smells the horses. Perhaps he can hear us as well. I tell you, a dragon's senses are extremely keen. After saying this, she began walking around, gathering dry wood. You're going to make a fire? he asked, surprised. Why not? Scorch is very patient, she lectured him. He knows we haven't gone away. 
and he'll wait for us to make the first move. I'm certain that we could have a raging fire burning all night and he wouldn't bother us. He'll sit quietly and wait for us to walk into a trap of his own making. The knight watched her quietly as she brought the wood to an open spot and cleared it of vegetation. You seem to know the habits of this dragon very well, he finally commented. And you seem awfully naive of dragons for a dragon fighter, she returned sharply. I half suspect that given a sword, you'd go fight him yourself, he said, watching her carefully. Give me a suit of armor, a lance, and a horse, and yes, I'd rather do battle with that beast than wait passively for it to come and eat me. She said this savagely and with great passion. I hate this dragon, she said fiercely. I despise him. He's destroyed everything I love, everything I care for, any hope I ever had. Scorch has taken away everything noble in my life and left behind nothing but ugliness. She was nearly crying now. And I'm stuck in this body and can't even go and give battle. I can't even have the satisfaction to die fighting him. I feel so powerless against him. Micaiah was taken aback at this onslaught. He was used to meeting fierce opponents, but he still had not learned how to deal with the words of this woman. I imagine you've lost many fine knights, he finally said. All of them, she nearly screamed in reply. There was desperation in her voice. Something in the bitterness of her words prompted him to ask, including one you loved? It was the wrong thing to say. At these words, her eyes grew big, and she picked up one of the branches she had collected and threw it at him with all her might. She had excellent aim, and the only way to protect himself was to deflect it with his arms. As suddenly as the attack began, it ended. Aina crumpled onto the ground, her face in her hands, sobbing. Michael walked over to her and sat down beside her. He placed his arm around her shoulders, and she turned to let him hold her. She cried against his neck. I am so sorry for your loss, he said quietly. He truly felt sorry for her pain. At the same time, he noticed that he also felt sorry for himself. He envied that knight who had been so loved by this maiden warrior. She continued weeping for some time, although it slowed down and finally she grew quiet. With her face buried in his shoulder, she seemed to have gone to sleep. The sun had disappeared behind the trees and it was growing dark. The evening chill was settling in. They happened to be sitting next to Aina's blanket and Michael reached out and grabbed it. He was going to cover her and go make a fire, but she held firmly onto him and he stretched out his legs to be more comfortable. With a free hand, he covered them both with the blanket as well as he could. Michael drifted in and out of a pleasant doze. He was so delighted to be out here with Aina, and he had to consciously overcome feeling guilty about it. After all, he was merely there to comfort her. Although it had grown too dark to see her face, at one point, he awakened and knew that she was awake as well and that her eyes were open. He could feel her comforting breath. 
I'm sorry, she sighed. I lost control of myself. I get so desperate sometimes, and when it hurts so badly, I don't know what else to do. There's no need to be sorry, he spoke softly, holding her a little tighter. You have suffered a great loss. Scorch has taken everything away from us, everything that I have ever loved, she continued. You must have loved him very much this night of yours that the dragon took away, he said into the darkness. I still do love him, she breathed, and I am so desperate because Scorch will take him away from me the next moon, and I don't know how to stop it.